welcome to the podcast. Every week I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Welcome to the Leadership Podcast, where predominantly right now, I am leading us through a focus of self-leadership, something I'm using. And this came, if you haven't been with us in previous podcasts, this came from my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Gary Sweeten. A number of years ago, he came up with a an acrostic apart, A-P-A-R-T, and it's the thought process that tears us apart. It's very practical. And if you're like me, you're always in this battle with your own thoughts. You're you're always in this battle with 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 not coming apart in your in your thinking, with whole thinking, because of some things you're going through. And so we've been introducing this idea of APART is when adversity hits, do you go to pessimism? That was the last session we had. Do you go to pessimism where the things that happen to you are pervasive, permanent, and personal? And then today we're going to talk about the A of anxiety, anger, aggravation, anguish. And then next time we're going to look at rumination versus meditation and then Finally, which leads to T, trauma, that if you ruminate, you're going to lead to self-trauma. And today we're looking at something that's behind your anxiety and mind that a lot of times we don't think about. And so this downward cycle of a thought process that's broken will lead to thinking and feeling anguish, anxiety, and may even erupt in anger. And most of the time, the damage of this is felt in that the anguish, anger, anxiety is expressed towards those who are closest to us, towards those we love. And this, many times before it ever goes there, it it really is a self-traumatizing. We have aimed our anxiety, angst at ourselves. After all, we are the ones with the personal flaws that are pervasive and permanent. And so for years, I, I used anger, for example, to try to keep me from making mistakes. Now look at this cycle. Make mistakes. I make them personal, pervasive, permanent. But I also use anger to try to be perfect. I know that for those of you who have not experienced the fuel of what anger can do to make you do what it is you need to do to validate yourself, you may not realize that that's a thinking process you've been within. I know for years I lived wanting to be perfect because I felt that was the only way that I was going to be accepted, esteemed. And the problem with that is I failed every day, made me miserable. I became less able to perform perfectly. And it's an awful awful cycle of self-recrimination. Some of the harshest words ever spoken to us come from our own mind. We have met the enemy and it is us. I don't know about you, but I've never met a bully as mean as the one who has resided in my head for many years. So many pessimists, people who go to pessimism of the pervasive personal and permanent nature of adversity, failures, tend to withdraw from life And at its worst level, into shame, depression, drugs, and isolation. 
Christian psychologists, counselors, treatment centers all over the world will tell us that those who are overwhelmed with unresolved guilt and shame often find themselves in depression, anxiety, drug abuse, sexual compulsions, self-destructive behaviors. And in almost every case, their theology focused on being perfect, being a perfect Christian as soon as they were reborn, if, if they were a person of faith. And they lacked any real insight or understanding of what it means to progressively mature. We call it now the growth mindset that actually when we are imperfect, when we have adversity, it's actually a sign that we can grow. But the perfectionist who's in pessimism misses the fact that this is the only way we do grow and that Aside from that, perfection is impossible. It's the biggest waste of time and energy. They lack an understanding that grace is always available and that they're able to laugh at their imperfections. They'd never heard of a growth mindset, progressive growth, healing through the great physician. Maybe they came from families and churches that promoted human perfection that can come out of good works. And these type of leaders and people fear the rejection and shaming of being caught in an imperfect action that a lot of times they'll label that as sin even. And it's an awful, awful cycle. So many people in this cycle as adults punish themselves without real mercy at all for any infraction. And and as a result, to deaden the pain of that imperfection, they lead to you know, overeating, doing drugs, compulsive sexual behaviors, abusing alcohol, pornography, etc. And what underlies this compulsive behavior is pain. Punishment tends to produce compulsive people and perfectionism kills and leads to increasing anxiety and anguish, aggravation and anger. Now, You may have never connected anxiety to perfectionism. That's what's underlying so much of our anxiety is the disruption of our perceived self. But one of the interesting aspects of perfectionism is is that when we recognize it in ourselves, we sort of see it as a compliment. (laughs) You know, I'm such a perfectionist. And we say it as a flaw, and yet we really take some pride in it. People typically laugh and smile as they say it. At a job interview, you're asked, what's your greatest weakness? Well, I'm a perfectionist. And you might as well be saying, I struggle with liking to get things done better than everybody else. Stephen Guise, the author of The Imperfectionist Guide, says the phrase, I'm such a perfectionist, is in reality a gaping wound that's commonly treated as a beauty accessory. And this really matters. He writes, if you do not manage to reframe perfectionism as a damaging and inferior mindset, the illusion of its superiority will thwart your desired changes. I've seen people, including myself, undone or nearly undone by their passive acceptance of the poison of perfectionism. Now, why is it so bad? Brene Brown, in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, writes, Perfectionism never happens in a vacuum. It touches everyone around us. We pass it down to our children. We infect our workplace with impossible expectations. And it is suffocating our friends and family. 
Perfectionists are driven mad or frozen in place by the chasm between their desire for perfection and the reality that they'll never get there, which impairs their ability to progress, to enjoy life, and to just emanate grace and life and joy to the people around them. So when they have something of adversity hit, their pessimism is fueled by the fact that this just proves I'm not enough. This just proves that I'm inadequate. Brene Brown goes on to write, based on my data, I don't think some people are perfectionists and others are not. I think perfectionism exists on a continuum. We all have some perfectionist tendencies, and I think I would add there, because we're all falling short and we want to prove our worth. For some, she writes, perfectionism may emerge when they are feeling particularly vulnerable. For others, perfectionism can be compulsive, chronic, and debilitating, similar to addiction. The good news I would tell you is if you're listening to this, that you may have adjacency to the reality of Christ who has come for our healing. Salvation is rooted in the word salve. God's gift of salvation in Christ is our salve, healing the wounds of our soul that we feel we have to fill in ourselves with accomplishment. And we leaders can be the worst at this. We leaders and our best day are a mixture of recovering from our wounds and receiving the healing of Christ and that being our motivation to lead and to serve. Stephen Geis wrote, it is easier to change your mind and emotions by taking action than it is to change your actions by trying to think and feel differently. And I have found this to be true. Let me read that again. It is easier to change your mind and emotions by taking action than it is to change your actions by trying to think and feel differently. What action can you take today from this podcast? Here's one. I want you to do this today. Here's an action that will result in different thinking and feeling. Celebrate your chips and your cracks. Celebrate your imperfection. Where do I get this from? Well, Barbara Bloom, the, the author, said, when the Japanese mend broken objects, they aggrandize the damage by filling the cracks with gold. They believe that when something suffered damage and has a history, it becomes more beautiful. If you have time today, celebrate your chips. Celebrate your imperfections. Celebrate the cracks in your being, your brokenness. Everyone you know is cracked in some way. A lot of us are trying to fill in wax and cover it up. The Greeks had a word, sine sera, that meant filling in the crack, not filling in the cracks. Sine sera, we get our word sincere. It literally meant without wax. The word sincere literally meant people who made pottery for a living if then the heat of the kiln, the vase was cracked, honest merchants would sell those vessels sine sera without wax. I don't need to, I, I don't need to cover up my imperfections. And the way to do that is celebrate your mistakes today. Celebrate when you get something wrong. Embrace that. Laugh at it if you have to, and you'll begin the journey to what we're going to talk about next week, and that is not being a ruminating person about your imperfections and going into a vicious downward cycle of shame, guilt, and weariness, 
but going to meditation and being set free. Until next time on the Leadership Podcast, may you join me in celebrating your chips, your cracks, your imperfections so that you can be set free. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, in life, and leadership. And if this has been helpful to you, subscribe and spread the word. And I will talk to you next week.